0: This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day two. All right, so um, I'm Rich, g'day. Uh, Talking about death to best practice. Uh, It's pretty cool, pretty edgy, right? Um, I was gonna, when I first submitted the talk, it was called like, improving design practice in medium to large organizations. And I thought, I'm not going to that. Um, So death to best practice, a bit edgier. and kind of fitting that I'm dressed like a vicar as well. Right? <laughs> Ready to put this thing in the ground. Um, cool, I'll start with the story because um, I've seen too many TED Talks. Uh, I, um, I had a job a couple of years ago. I joined a team whose uh, work was basically improving CX design capability uh, in a government department um and i'd done a bunch of that stuff before it was really good to go in-house and do it i'd worked as a consultant and um and i don't know if you've worked for a government department but normally on the first day you get told your computer's not there the second day uh second day you don't have access to anything um that can go on for a long time right so what they did is they plonked me down in front of the playbook right the cx design playbook uh, and I read this thing cover to cover and it was massive, right? I've seen religious tomes that aren't this heavyweight, right? It had um, it had their own triple, quadruple diamond. I can't remember what it was, right? There was a glossary, there was um, behaviours, mindsets, activities, um, and it was good, right? Like seeing all that stuff brought together was pretty amazing. But, um, oh, they're not the notes that I thought I had. Anyway, whatever. Um, So basically, so I sat down and read this thing and I was like, all right, cool. Kind of got the gist of it. You know, after a week I got access to stuff and we started actually doing work and I was like, all right, so how are we going to embed best practice? I've, you know, looked around the organization, right? We've got a lot of like people who don't think like designers. What are we gonna do to change them? My manager was like, Rich, page eight to 19, mindsets. Yeah, all right. But How are they gonna like actually do the kinds of things that we need them to do? Rich, page 22 to 35, behaviors. <laughs> all right. Um, I think I know how you're gonna answer this, but how are we actually gonna redesign our customer experience? I'm like, that's what the other 160 pages are for, right? <laughs> this thing was the answer. I found out there was also videos to go with it that were like, it was classic. It was like cut price versions of those at Lassian, You know, the plays that used to have the videos, the hands, it was like that, but on a serious budget. Um, one day I found in this locked cabinet were all these uh, like playing cards that had different activities on them, which is way more lightweight than the 160 page Bible of design. And um, I was like, oh, why aren't we putting these out there? You know, we've got these cards, we've got these videos, we've got this playbook has anyone actually seen this stuff person I was working for I was like no Rich I haven't given it to anyone they can't be trusted (laughs) so what do you mean they're like well you know if we give this stuff out people aren't going to do it properly you know they're just going to do it in the best way they can you know if I release this playbook other managers are going to take ownership of that and pretend that it came from them I've done like a bit of this uplift stuff before, and I'm like, surely people taking ownership and adapting these things is kind of what we want. But it wasn't, right? (laughs) And I realized what had happened is the executive had decided that best practice was the way forward. We need to embed best practice to improve our organization. So they went and spoke to a consultant who Googled best practice and um, put in a playbook for shitloads of money and then um and then created a team who was also going to embed best practice and it was really this like top-down mindset that was happening in the organization all the while all the people who actually do the work who actually are delivering the experience to customers are kind of sitting there wondering what's going on upstairs right and it was it was kind of like you know that scene in independence day where the shadow just looms over the city like That's how best practice was coming into the organization. (laughs) Or at least threatening to, right? Better experience. Um, And um, I went there for 11 months, right? I did not embed best practice, um, but I did learn one important thing, and that's that best practice needs to die. Now, I work for New South Wales government I work on a product called the Digital Service Toolkit. Um, I'm like a service designy sort of person. Um, uh, the Toolkit is really about um, gives resources, guides, templates, tools to help people design and deliver better services to New South Wales citizens. Oh, um, there's some super smart people there. A lot of stuff I'm going to talk about today is based on conversations we've had together. Uh, I also run a legal design studio called Pick a Link. It's pretty pokey, but it's interesting that both these things, what I'm trying to do is find a way to get design to kind of meld the culture and the organisation that maybe it's not part of yet. Um, And so, yeah, I'm going to be talking about that. What else am I going to do? All right, so I do designing design, right? I've spent a lot of time designing design. I design stuff. That's about half my work. The other half has been actually designing design, right? Thinking about how do we meld this world of design, these practices, mindsets, behaviors with what an organization needs to improve. Um, I'm pretty sure that we all have that. Hands up if it's in your job description somewhere that you have to uplift the capability of the organization. Yeah. Keep your hand up if you're actually doing it. Yeah. I'll mate at the back. Good on you. You're nailing it. Oh, mate, you can leave. You get an early mark. That's Like <laughs> um, well, I've done heaps. All right. I've worked uh, as an external trying to uplift design. I've worked internally. I've worked in public and private in the community uh, doing this stuff. I've written playbooks, created toolkits, designed design programs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, some of them worked reasonably well. Some of them, shit, right? D- haven't, so I'll stop swearing. Um, haven't worked. I'm probably not going to. Um, <laughs> really haven't worked. And um, by doing all this testing and learning, I've really learned like something. I don't think it's that profound, but um, I think it's important when we are trying to uplift capability. And that's that um, the way we think about improving design practice is broken. I'm not gonna poo poo playbooks, right? Or toolkits or whatever, because they work. But the way that we think when we're coming up with these things, I think is broken. And that's what this talk today is about because I think if we can actually change the way we approach this kind of stuff then that fundamentally changes the things that we deliver and the way we go about our day-to-day work Um, this might not be for everyone hopefully there's some interesting stuff but there's no other talks on so I guess you're um you're stuck with me Um, I'm going to quickly talk about where we're at in terms of improving design practice. I'm going to talk talk about this phrase embed best practice, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. Um, And then I'm going to give you a framework for change. So, if you're working in this space or you want to work in the space, there's something that you can apply. Um, I'm also going to be using this as a proxy for um, some of my chat. We had a lot of discussions when we were working on this brief and delivering this output. Uh, pretty open brief. I was working on some different people improving the confidence and capability of research in New South Wales government. My decent remit. Uh, we built this thing, the Activism and Templates Hub. It's a collection of effective activities and templates gathered from practitioners across New South Wales government. And I'll talk about, you know, like you do a project and you're like, man, I've got so much smart stuff in my head. Can I make it manifest in this simple little product? Um, I can't, that's why I'm talking about it. So, um, and this, this is not perfect, by the way, if you look at it, you're going to be like, oh, that's shit, why did you do that? Like, I know that there's a long backlog of um, stuff I want to do to it, but it's a good start and to move in the right direction. That's really what we're talking about today. It's not changing everything. I'm not going to give you the answer because that would be best practice, but, um, but I am going to, yeah, point to this and talk about it. And obviously talking about, you know, some of the stuff I've learned, some of the stuff I've delivered as a result. Um, All right, where are we at? So when it comes to improving design practice in the organisation, there's always forces at play, right? Some of the things are working for us, some of the things are working against us, right? Something that I think has been really interesting, um, this has happened more in private, but it's definitely happening in public too, that in the boardrooms or the upper echelons of these organisations, design is becoming part of the discussion. People are actually talking about problems, are actually thinking and working in ways that are can enable design in an organization um we've got a bunch of practitioners that actually care you know like maybe we don't get to act on that care every day but everyone in this room i'm sure really cares about delivering great outcomes and that's a huge thing to be working with right um and if you're lucky you've got ops people in your organization who take all that boring Boring, low value task, and make it something that you can do at the click of a button. And it's amazing if you work with ops people, big them up because they're doing great work. Right. But some of the stuff that's, are you an ops person? Yeah. Preach. <laughs> um, but there's also challenges, right? We're understaffed. You know, like you guys are all in this room. The rest of your team is going to be struggling right now. There's not enough of us, not enough of us when we're sitting at our desks. All right. Um, what else? People kind of get design, but don't really. Some of us might have like done the six-month design course, and you get told that this is the way that you do design. And then you get out in the real world, and people are, oh no, that's a way to do design. It's quite like dismaying. But when you go into an organisation, it's time to deliver, right? Um, another thing is a lot of these, a lot of our organisations being run by people from you know accounting or finance backgrounds, right? Logical, linear people looking for efficiencies, and that's really a blocker to uh, improving design practice, but they're kind of the forces at play. I'm going to talk a little bit about how we work with them in a second. Um, but I think what's important to talk about is like the idea of improving design practice is quite different to the idea of embedding best practice. That's how, it, that's how we talk about it in organizations. You know, um, consultants will tell you, you need to embed best practice. Leaders will then tell their managers, you need to embed best practice. Right? Managers tell their teams, you need to do best practice and doers go, what the hell is best practice? Right? Um, And it's this kind of whatever it is, right? Whatever it is that we're meant to be doing, I think we're kind of aligned on the outcomes, right? Clear shared expectations of what we're all doing, no matter who's involved in the design process. You know, we should have empowered capable people if we can actually do what we're trying to do. And also there should be accessible, reliable pathways to delivering quality outcomes. They're the things that regardless of what we're trying to do, these are sort of, I believe, what we're aiming for. So let's talk about embedding best practice. I'm going to talk about these three words and um, hopefully give you some better ways to think about it. So the first one is embed, right? Like a microchip gets embedded in a dog, right, or a journalist gets embedded with a platoon right? or a missile gets embedded in a playground, right? All of these things are foreign bodies introduced into an environment that they're not meant to be in or they're not naturally a part of. Um, And I think when we talk about embedding best practice, it's really taking this like it's the language of the upper, right? It's an external kind of putting it on the people who are trying to do the thing, right? And we're trying our best to do the thing, regardless of who these people are telling us to embed whatever it is they want us to do. Right. and I think that's fundamentally flawed. And there's a really great quote that captures why. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. That people don't resist change, they resist being changed. Uh, it's really easy when you're working in some kind of change capacity to look at people and think, well, they're a problem, they're an issue that I need to overcome. But I think that that's the wrong mindset. So does the very clever Peter Senge. If you haven't read The Fifth Discipline, it's about uh, learning organisations, it's like, Crazy book you should definitely read it Um, I think this is really important right because our job as designers as researchers right we're literally paid and we come and learn these things and we get up in the morning because we engage right we empower we enable people that's what we're here to do you know I think enable is a really nice framing of what we're trying to achieve instead of the embed mindset I think enable is a better way to frame it because when we embed right we, talk, we think about resistance people are going to be up against this We think about uptake how are we going to measure that people are actually changing in the way we want to we talk about changing behaviors right people are currently doing this but we need them to behave like that i just reckon like that's not good design it's not human-centric design i just don't think it's good design i think smart design works with the constraints that we've got works with the resources that we have Right? I think when we enable, we look at motivations, what are people already motivated to do, not just in their day to day, but ultimately, right, I want to make a better impact on the world, I want to improve my ability to like that kind of ratio of impact to effort, or I want my next job or, you know, I want to feel more confident, whatever it is, blockers and drivers, we talk about pains and gains a lot. In design i think blockers and drivers are better right because pains and gains feel like things that we can endure as we continue through a journey but actually blockers and drivers capture it a bit better right blockers block us from moving forward drivers drive us forward right and i think sometimes we forget that uh if we block if people are blocked at this point in the journey they're not actually moving to the next point in the journey it's not just a pain point that we should get to at some point right literally the unless the drivers outweigh the blockers at each phase of the journey then people are not moving forward and i think that um i think that we need to take that same you know journey mindset when we're trying to change uh, or improve design practice i also think like let's just leverage the behaviors we've got like yes they might not be perfect but people are already behaving in that way for a reason um why don't we look at how they are behaving and see what we can work with so when we're working on this project, um, some of the things, oh, damn it. All right, this is what we did. And soon I'm gonna tell you what we learned. <laughs> um, cool, all right, what a reveal. All right, so what do we do? Like We, we learned, because we're trying to uplift research, right? Um, there's a will to do research. People wanted to do research, but they weren't supported by leaders. Leaders were motivated by delivering, right? They wanted something to show. For the efforts for the time Jesus 26 minutes um if I start if you get it just do this right um leaders were motivated by delivering right they wanted to get to the next thing and if people weren't doing that with research if they were getting blocked by something then they weren't delivering and so it wasn't valued by leaders um and also people didn't really have the confidence to try new things Uh, When we created this product, we how can we align with leader motivations? How can we make sure that everything we give people, every activity, every template actually produces a thing that feels like we're delivering? Um, How can we really clear on the value and the outputs? What do we need to tell people? Show them upfront before they engage with the thing. This is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to be able to do with it. Um, Yeah, i we focused on the beginning of the journey, right? Because that's the hardest bit. If you can start research you're in a much better place than if it just gets waved through and you start building what the idea was to begin with. My starting is the hardest part. That's good. (laughs) Cool. All right. Um, I think enable is better than embed. Um, I've got some like nifty tricks that I was going to talk about, but we can talk about that over lunch. Uh, Let's talk about best. Right. I think you could probably understand my beef with best You know, like best is sort of a peerless thing, right? There's nothing higher than the best, right? Which is good and great and a great thing to aspire to. But we work in this like wonky, weird, evolving industry, right? Every project is different. Um, The constraints of our organisation, the culture that we work in, all these things are different. And we're also still feeling our way forward, right? We're always trying, experimenting, doing new things. There is no best when it's this like amorphous, gaseous body of practice that we're working in. And even if we put that kind of paradox aside, the other thing is you gotta ask best for whom? Who's deciding what is best for us? Because if you have your, your kind of branch of the organization being run by someone with a logical linear mindset, what's best for them is maybe efficiency, but that's not necessarily what's best for you, sitting at your desk trying to actually get stuff done um so um, it says what is best practice at the bottom um would guess that it's a good definition here I'm not going to read it but really it comes from industry right it's about efficiency it's about getting rid of the variables so that we can actually um do stuff in a predictable way but last week I got to speak to a bunch of people at a, um, my open space workshop people talked about what design what best practice meant for them basically can build on a yardstick for the organization um what are some good ones something that's retrospectively recognized when something succeeds I think that's a really like that's a little yeah someone very smart was in that thing right uh common denominator for solving problems um oh oh, we're going on a little loop here that's cool um this one of a means to improve the efficiency of human capital is actually what I've heard quite a lot uh when I get tasked to you know build a design program Um, The outcomes are kind of all the same, right? the ones we talked about before. Um, I want to talk about this perspective though, this improving the efficiency of human capital, because if that's a common mindset and that common mindset lives where the money is, then that's how these programs get spun up. And it's important to be aware of the environment that we're trying to improve practice in. Um, And this is where best practice lives, right? The ideal. You might've been there, lives in strategy decks, in recommendations, in away days. You know, it's collaborative, it's agile, you know, it's seamless, we're trusted, we move forward, we deliver outcomes. Like the ideal is awesome, right? That's where best practice lives. But um, that's not where we work, right? We work over here. You know, where it's siloed, right, where knowledge is power so we hold on to it, right, where solutions are cooked up well before a problem is even thought about, right? <laughs> and, like, in this world, you know, we're kind of anchored, right? There's processes, practices, structures, mindsets that keep us in reality and away from ideal. And so, when we're talking about uplifting practice, when we talk about best practice it's very different from actual practice, but the thing that I think is interesting is that there's an overlap right, I wish there was a smoother transition there, but I was on Google slides. Um, There's an overlap between reality and ideal where best practice actually works in the reality that we work in. And so, when I'm thinking about like how are we going to improve practice, this is the space that I wanna play, right? And really, this is our role. I call this effective practice. You know, this is the thing that is actually going to improve practice in an organization, I believe. Um, so we kind of came to this by, um, oh, damn it, come on. Yeah, yeah, like playbooks weren't fit for purpose. People weren't using them. They didn't match their needs. Uh, people were looking for what works around here. When you're trying to do something like start doing research in your team, understanding what is a proven practice, uh, is really important, something that looks and feels like it does work around here or it has been proven to work. Um, people are acutely aware of the uh, challenges they're facing in their team, in their organisation, and so they want to make sure that if they're doing something the first time, it actually works for them. So, what we did is we leveraged the people who were excelling in New South Wales government. Um, we looked at the, the practices, the processes, the activities, the templates that they had, looked at what are the ones that are unique to New South Wales. We weren't trying to create a content library. We we're looking at what are the actual things that um, have been adapted or developed within this organisation to work. Um, we tried to make it accessible because people were doing it for the first time. Uh, and it's also framework agnostic. If you look on this hub, it's about planning research, doing research, using research. That doesn't need to fit into any diamond framework, right? It's just here's a bunch of stuff. You're smart, you get it. Um, And so I think effective is far more better, a far better way to think about what we're trying to uh, propagate in an organization than best. Um, That's another tip that I'm not going to talk about. um, Cool. I'm going to talk about practice, which is my favorite word of the three. Um, And uh, it's counting down. I thought it was counting up. (laughs) Still running behind Um, practice. Great word, right? Because that means it's actually being applied. That's that is a healthy way to think about it. Um, so practice is good, but the problem that I have with it is it's not actually that compelling, right? You know, we, no, one, no one wakes up in the morning, makes a cup of coffee, and opens up our playbook to just peruse through, right? Like, we like to think that's what we do when we publish these things, but that's not what happens. Um, I want to talk quickly about uh, what practice is, or what I reckon it is um i saw this in a workshop years ago i don't know where it's from but i thought it's a really nice way to think about practice it's what you do and it's how you do it right very simple um and uh i kind of think that the longer that you've been in design you realize that what you do is a very small part of it that's what lives in the playbooks hey this is what you do, and then everything below the surface. I mean, that's the mindsets and behaviours and stuff, but there's all these variables about how you do it, why you do it, who you do it with, when you do it. These are all complexities that are really hard to document. Um, If you've ever used the five whys to explain the simplicity of design to people, right? Or yeah, maybe just nod, that's cool, I like that. Um, Have you ever actually done the five whys? (laughs) Like, it is hard, it's like this, Fractal process. It takes like a grandmaster of chess to understand where it's going and which angle we should take. Right? It's like it's simple, but man, it's hard. And um, I worked. Um, I worked in this place full of super smart designers. Right? We tried to document our best practice. And so someone came in and actually worked with all the designers to understand what we're doing, how we're doing it. They created this really nice, clean, lightweight, accessible um, set of activities. Um, and one of the designs I've worked with got Jack of it. He's like, this is too simple. This is not actually how it works. And so he embarked on creating his own and he got to like 40 pages with like three activities in it, trying to explain all the variables, right? Like... And actually like not, neither of those approaches were right because um, if we're too flippant, not enough for people to actually do it. If we go too deep, lacks that accessibility that people need when they're doing it for the first time. And I actually think that, what we kind of need is just enough right we need to give people enough confidence enough structure we need to give them a taste of the how the stuff below the surface but we don't need to give it to them all give it all to them um and so if you are you know documenting something like this i feel like i might be talking in an abstract here but um but basically if you give enough right you put the emphasis back on the user to do some of their own work. Right? And that would be problematic if you're just trying to get them to improve practice. But I think that um, if instead of focusing on practice, we actually focus on problems and progress in the moment, what are the challenges people are facing? Then you've got people who are very motivated to make this thing work. You don't need to give them an encyclopedic version of how to do crazy eights, right? You just need to give them enough And whichever way works in your organization so that they can do the thing so that they can fill in all this stuff that sits below the surface all that how they know what their team needs what their capabilities are what the constraints are if you just give them enough and focus on a problem then you don't need to do all this other stuff of documenting the whole entire process of running training of um you know having coaching sessions or initiatives or, you know, fun collaborative projects where we redesign the mobile phone, whatever it is. Um, I think that if we focus on problems and progress that our users have, then we actually get to design less, not more, which I think is an aspiration we should all have. Um, but you obviously, make up your own mind. Um, and so what do we do? Cool, people are proactive and they're faced with the problem. That's what we found Then No one's looking for our website, right? They're looking for a solution. Um, when we overpromised, we're doing concept testing, right? We're giving research recipes. Hey, you transform the way you're blah, blah, blah. And then when, when they looked at the content, they're like, well, this won't work for me, or this is too lightweight, or worse still, let's cover all our bases. All right, well, that's too heavyweight. That's definitely not for me. Um, and yet people motivated by progress, not practice. And I think that's nice framing. Um, so what do we do about that? We looked at this is my favorite thing like high value slices of the design process, what is the point that people get to where they can't go any further. You know we've synthesized our research, but how do we nudge it over the edge to insights hey we have found our opportunities, but how do we actually. confidently prioritize these things, you know hey we have some questions, but how do we document that in a discussion guide that is fit for purpose in the place we work. Uh, We also had outcome-based steps in our um, activities that sort of helped people understand why they would do each thing and how it would contribute to the ultimate goal. Um, Yeah, we made them highly adaptable because people know what works in their organisation. If you're trying to give someone an activity or a template, right, you don't need to put it in every single uh, format that it can come in. You need to give them a good base. And when they're motivated, if it is a real problem and they do want to solve it, Find out what that kind of threshold is and um, they'll be able to do it for themselves. They're smart people, right? Um, So yeah, progress over practice. Um, Something else I'm not gonna tell you about. Um, So yeah, I think enable is better than embed. Effective is better than best and progress is better than practice. Um, Don't go to your boss and say, we wanna enable effective progress because that sounds (laughs) even less useful than embedding best practice. but keep it in your mind because the way you think will uh, influence everything that you do as a result. Um, oh, geez. All right, so we had a little theory of change, right? We thought that if we can just get someone to do an activity once at the beginning of research, help them make some progress, it will change the way that their project works, right? When they see their value, they'll change the way they think about design oh this is something that we can use again this is actually improved process Um, if we can get to that point we talk about you know in the theory of change we have inputs activities uh kind of these different layers of outcomes ultimately if you can start to get people even just use one activity to just improve their research a bit to ask slightly better questions in research the kind of intermediate outcome is that they're getting better quality, right? They're creating a better project. And ultimately, if people are seeing this value, experiencing it for themselves, that's when we start to create the conditions where design practice can actually improve. Oh, I know I'm gonna go. I just wanna talk about actually what that looked like in real life. Someone, um, I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago who would use, someone who contributed a theory of change, which is a bit meta, but um, they yeah, they shared a theory of change It was in this hub and um, someone was having trouble they were working in this team uh, on project, multiple teams um, who really weren't seeing eye to eye, who weren't getting on board um, it's very early on in the project. So that's obviously a massive issue. Also, they didn't have enough resources to deliver the outcomes that they told they had to deliver. Um, and what would normally happen is this person would have pushed through, tried to get people to get on board. Uh, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't they would like limp through the project with minimum resources because they've been told well, this is all you've got so just do what you can but this person just got the theory of change activity got these teams together went through this thing where they talked about what are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve all right or what are the things that we need to do in order to achieve it all right what are the different things that we bring to the table that can help us do these things to achieve these outcomes like it's basic theory of change stuff, but by using this as a discussion tool and helping everyone see how the work that they did mapped to the ultimate outcomes, it's a really effective tool for this person to create alignment amongst these teams that weren't seeing eye to eye, that weren't opening up to working together. Uh, Then they used that map, that theory of change and took it to stakeholders, used it as a discussion tool, showed them, hey, this is what you want us to do. This is what we're capable of doing. These things over here, these resources, they're what we're missing in order to achieve these outcomes. And All of a sudden, it became a collaborative exercise. Stakeholders are leaning in, giving advice about how we can actually achieve more with less, or if you need it at this point, we can start to talk about it. And so as a result, you end up with a bunch of people who are working in a better way, right? We end up with um, people who are going to start to see the value of um, this kind of activity as they start to work together. Uh, and ultimately it's gonna set the project, I believe, on a far like, far more likely path to deliver the outcomes that they set out to achieve. And like for me, that was a really nice example of this theory of change actually working. Um, and we've had 15,000 visits to this site since we started. There's not 15,000 designers in New South Wales government. Um, but what's interesting is that there's been 5,000 downloads of the activities and templates. So a third of those visits are resulting in people downloading stuff, right? Even if like 10%, maybe that's ambitious, let's say it is, even if 10% of those people are actually using these things, that's like 500 projects that are being set on a better path, right? More teams coming together. It's just, it's just an incremental change, but because it's early on in the process, that actually results, I believe, in a much bigger change and much better outcomes just because you've got, I don't know, the five whys documented for someone um yeah and so I think that's kind of how we get to outcomes let's quickly talk about how we're going to do it all right I don't know if it's a framework I think it's actually like a model I was gonna say mental model but it's on paper so um, it's just a model Um, so I think there's two really easy groups we need to look at those people who excel in an organization those who want to excel that's it they don't have to be designers or strategists or researchers or anything just the people who know how to get stuff done in a quality way and people who want to do stuff better. You've also got the Harvey Normans, right? People with no interest in engaging. We don't need to worry about them. That's not where change happens, right? But with these two groups, right, we've got effective practice on the right and we've got problems and motivations on the left. And we just bring those two together, right? What we, what we need to create is this almost a symbiotic relationship between these two groups, right? And our role, this is the cool bit, right? You're no longer a change manager. You're no longer spending your weeks researching what best practice is, interviewing people. All you need to do is be the conduit between these two groups, I believe, right? And if you wanna do that well, there's kind of three things that I think we need to do. The first one, this is table stakes. You have to get this right. You gotta nail the value exchange. We've already talked about what's in it for the people that wanna do better, right? They've got problems, they wanna make progress. those who do excel, you need to find a way to actually engage these people, to get them to contribute best practice. Because when we researched it, when we spoke to these people who excel, oh, I just want to make the organisation better. You know, As a design leader, I see myself uplisting in the organisation. All right, cool. When can we have a meeting and talk through one of your things? Well, so I'm actually very busy and uh, that's not going to happen for another two weeks. right? These people have other priorities. So you need to think about what's a way that we can pull stuff in. So for us, some of the things we did is, um, on the notes um we made a nice clean looking hub it didn't feel like a very government looked very governmenty but it didn't feel very governmenty um, it felt like a lightweight platform that maybe people were interested in doing right we brute forced the first bunch of activities you know twisted the arms of people that we know to deliver quality stuff so all of a sudden we got something to point to hey do you want to be in a resource hub like this a whole of government We did design as a service. We made their stuff look nice, sound nice, feel nice, be adaptable. Um, And then we helped, you know, we kind of gave them a bit of feedback, right? This is what people are saying, this is what people have asked for. The value exchange became a little bit clearer. Still haven't nailed it, but um, you do need to nail it. Um, Diversify the means of exchange, right? Yes, you can create a place where all these things live, um, but. you're literally, you know, as a page on a website, you're competing with the sum of human information, uh, trying to get people to yours, right? So one of the things we did is start a newsletter, lame, boring, right? But what we did is every month send out, hey, here's an activity. Here's some insight from a leader, someone who excels about how to how to use it. Here's the template so that you can do it yourself. Uh, we started uh, pulling in like smaller problems, hey, and asking this group of people who excel, um, have you got some solutions for this? And we'd publish those, right? We started having conversations on our community forum, trying to connect these two different groups. The value exchange is always fairly similar, right? But just different fidelities of it. And doing that just meant that we weren't waiting for people to arrive on the site. One of the things we did do is go around and try and onboard people. That was a terrible idea. Like, no one gives a shit about your product. Right. Oh, and this is what we learned, And then this is what we did. Like you guys maybe do because you're design nerds like me, but everyone else just wants to solve their problems. So then we started going and we like, all right, well, what are your problems? Let us know. And then we'll bring in some activities. We'll talk you through them. Also, that sucked massive effort from us. What we ended up doing is just finding people through this uh, funding program who's starting the research. What's the common problem that we have? And then we're taking through one step of one activity so that they could make this tiny little bit of progress of turning a solution that their leader had come up with into assumptions that would create questions for a discussion guide. Super simple, but it just helped people understand that value. Um, and the last thing you do, this is from the HubSpot flywheel, which like, I like this language, right? Reduce the friction, increase momentum. Speak to the users, see what's stopping them from using this thing. See where they're being held back and see how you can change that. Um, so, doing like an audience jacking thing where we would get the experts who have contributed into human-centered design community practice to do live expert demos and talk through the thing right it wasn't that people couldn't do the thing already but it just lowered the anxiety that was just one small thing that we did but what you end up with is a whole lot of people feeling more confident like taking away one of those barriers to actually improving their practice um yeah so that's it i think like I think this is cool because it's simple, like circular-ish. It's people-powered. It replaces that outsider perspective, Um, simplifies your role. It's kind of organic, right, as effective effective practice changes or as conditions change, the practice will change. And if you've got a nice sort of to and fro going here, then um, whatever effective practice is in your organisation can change with the times. yeah, and ultimately, I think it will give you clear, shared expectations for everyone in the design process. Um, it empowers people, makes them more capable, um, and creates accessible, reliable pathways to achieving good outcomes. Um, that's another thing I'm not going to talk about. Um, yeah, final thought if you're doing this stuff, like we all know change is hard, right? It's super, super hard. And it's like, whatever those, um, I don't know. I don't know what they're called but basically we're all no one wants to change no one wants to be changed um, and no one's nailed this stuff right i think there's three things that you can do if you're trying to change an organization for the better um you gotta think deep right think about design don't just think about the activity think about why the activity works what's the rationale behind it Um and use those building blocks, right? Instead of, hey, I've got 10 plays that I want to get out. What's actually going on here? And then look at the culture, right? Not just, hey, where do people turn to for these resources, but why do they turn to them? What's the situation? What are they motivated by? Right? Um, have fun. Give a shit, right? We all give a shit. Don't do this if you're not invested because it's hard and boring and slow. And you really need um, resilience to. To actually change an organization, but have fun because no one else has nailed this. Like, I've given you my approach, but if you're actually trying to change design practices, a million ways to do it, don't take it too seriously. Just try some stuff out and see what happens. That's it. I'm going to stand over here. There's Any a, questions? There's a speaker there. Yeah. Um, we, we did have one um, sent through, and then I'll, I'll bring a mic over, um, which was what do you measure? So, Christy sent through a, a, a question what do you measure in order to be able to go back to the business and saying we're improving? So, the slide I skipped at the end, like I get to talk and work with very smart people. Um, I spoke to someone who was uplifting design capability in a like really impressive way um, a little while ago. And they said their team got defunded, right, in spite of actually changing the way that people were working and having them outcome focused. Um, and she said the problem was that I realized that we weren't connected to the needs of the business uh, and to the priorities of the organization they'd spent the last six months um, of their work trying to develop a capability framework. Meld has a SIC capability framework, if you're looking for one, Um, but it's a mission to try and do that stuff, especially when you work like you are just one influence in a sea of influences, right? Um, And so the advice I got, which I think is really good advice is don't worry about measuring capability uplift find a metric that suggests that your thing is being used or taken up for us. It's basically visits and downloads, right? And then go and source the stories of people who are actually using the thing. Because if you can give someone the emotional reason to say, yes, we should keep funding this, yes, this is working, tell them the story. And then if they need to back it up for other people, give them the data between those two things. That's what that slide was about. That's the magic combination. So that's my advice. don't don't measure it. Find, it. find your own way to measure it. Make sure it aligns with those people who said I'm here for efficiency uh, uh, outcomes.